Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. The scripture today is from the first chapter of the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malan and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone, without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again, and even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? the women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, 
for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer, and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring, at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. We've all experienced the need to go find a new job, yes? Either the job ends or we decide to quit, and sometimes it's been easy to find a new one, and sometimes it's been excruciatingly difficult. We could share right here in the comments on Facebook or YouTube the times that we've experienced the need to go find a new job. And that's actually the way that the Book of Ruth here begins, with Elimelech having to go find himself a new job. It's an agricultural society, and so the reason that happens is there's a famine in Bethlehem. The story of Ruth happens, we're told, during the time of the judges, which for Israel, anyone who knows the Bible, is essentially a centuries-long 2020. It's a time when the politics are terrible, invasions happen, plagues roll through. It's a really bad time in Israel's history. And it's not just from the outside bad. It's bad because the people again and again and again and again and again leave the God who has promised to be with them and try to find their satisfaction elsewhere. And while moving to get a job is a perfectly reasonable thing to do, Elimelech is providing for his family by shifting over. The crops aren't doing well in Bethlehem, so... 50 to 100 miles away, it's hard to say exactly how far. Uh, the weathers are better, maybe there are some springs that are still going and being able to be used for irrigation. Uh, it's a reasonable move, and indeed it, it seems to work out. Elimelech and Naomi, their two boys grow up, reach marrying age, they find some local girls, but for an Israelite family to move from Bethlehem to Moab isn't like moving from, you know, Kirkland to Bothell, or Bothell to Mountain View, or even Seattle to Los Angeles, although sometimes there are, you know, those things between Washingtonians and Californians. No, no, no. Moving from Israel to Moab is like moving from the United States to the Islamic State. Yeah, sure, you may have found a great job in Syria in an area that's controlled by the Islamic State. Let's put ourselves back a few years. But everyone's going to look at you cross-eyed for doing it. There are enemy. Moab had actually invaded Israel some, it's hard to say exactly how far, 80, 100, 120 years before this story happened. And there has been bad blood between Moab and Israel since the beginning. This move by Elimelech is suspect. Even before things go very wrong and he dies... His two sons die, and now Naomi, who is first introduced as Elimelech's wife. Now when Elimelech dies, he's introduced or referenced as Naomi's husband. Now Naomi is left a widow along with her two widowed daughters-in-law in a thoroughly patriarchal traditional culture, both Moab and Israel, Naomi's life is a wreck at this point. 
In fact, there's a very good case to be made that the book of Ruth is portraying Naomi as something of a female Job. If you want some good Halloween reading, uh, really go back and read either the book of Job or the book of Judges to get your horror stories in. But Naomi has, again, in a patriarchal society, had everything taken away from her. In fact, unlike now where we have, you know, rule of law and other protections for individuals in, you know, most countries of the world to some degree, Naomi, without a male protector, has almost nothing. But having been absolutely just ruined, Naomi hears that the Lord, that Yahweh, has visited his people and that back in Bethlehem, a word, by the way, that literally means house, Beth, Lechem, bread, Bethlehem, the house of bread. In the house of bread, there is once again food because God has come and again blessed his people. And so she makes the decision that she, as an Israelite, has nothing for her now in this foreign land. She will, as devastated as she is, seek the only good she has and she'll return to the land of promise. And she, she starts out with her daughters-in-law. At some point along the journey, it seems to have occurred to Naomi that as much as she is living an utterly precarious life as a foreigner in Moab, it's going to be the same thing for her daughters-in-law if they continue to travel with her to Bethlehem. They will be the despised foreigner. They will be the ones without support if they continue on this journey. And so as warm as the relationships with her daughters-in-law are, and go read the book of Ruth, it's very clear right from the beginning that they genuinely love each other. There's a lot of warmth and tenderness here. But as much as she loves them for their sake, she encourages them to stay in Moab. In fact, they've already started journeying. She encourages them to go back, to go back to their family, go back to their gods, because in Israel, things will be tough for them. And now comes the part of chapter one that some of us may have heard before. It, it's, it's a great quote, this, this short speech of Ruth's. It's the kind of thing that gets put on, you know, Christian calendars, and it's a remarkable statement of loyal love towards Naomi. But let's not miss this. In a traditional culture, for Ruth, the younger woman, to contradict her elder and to contradict her mother-in-law, when her mother-in-law has said very clearly, no, you are to go back to your people. I am concerned for you. This is what you should do. For Ruth to contradict her mother-in-law, even out of this intense love, this loyal love that she has, this kindness, which seems so pale a word compared to the depths of what Ruth is experiencing and expressing here. But for Ruth to do this displays a remarkable level of spunk and individuality and indeed integrity to go against the expectations of society and step into love. Where you will go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. Let nothing separate us. It's beautiful and it's completely countercultural.
There are any number of helpful aspects to the story of Ruth to us living in 2020. A couple things really quickly, and then an invitation to us, I think, to respond. One clear theme in this book, the story of Ruth, is that misfortune is not outside of God's control. He's, he's sovereign, and he brings both fortune and, yes, calamity. But the author, whoever he or she was, makes very clear that the important thing for us to focus on is not the wise, which God rarely reveals anyway, but to focus on our responsibility and our choices, both to trust his loving kindness and loyalty to us, but also then to reflect that and live that out for the others that God has put in our life. And yes, God blesses in his own way as we do so. This first chapter of Ruth also gives us an image of a society where the reality of God is acknowledged on, on some level, but where God himself is largely in the background, out on the edges somewhere in terms of people's everyday life. Again, choices about where to move and what to do. And again, at the end of the chapter, the choices that the women of Bethlehem make to uh, sort of make a fuss about how Naomi has aged don't seem to have recognized Ruth's presence at all, that terrorist, and don't appear to have given any particular material aid to Naomi and Ruth as they arrive in direct contrast to what God has explicitly commanded his people to do, to welcome the foreigner and the immigrant and provide for the poor and the widows. So what are we to do with a God like this, who often operates in the background and on the edges of what we would consider the main events of the day, and yet is never content that we would put him on the periphery of our lives? A God who is sovereignly in control and yet invites us into the choice of a loving relationship with him. Well, there's an invitation. Friends, we didn't put ourselves in this time of pandemic and social chaos. Collectively, yes. But individually, no. These things simply happened around us. And yet the invitation is to return to the house of bread. At the very end of this chapter, we read that Naomi and Ruth arrive back at Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest, meaning around the time of the Passover, around the time that God's people celebrate their redemption. They're being brought out of enslavement, their return to the land of promise, to a land that will overflow with milk and honey because of its richness for them. Friends, the invitation for some of us is to return whatever life has thrown at us and whatever choices we have made, all the ways that we have put God at the periphery of our life, out on the edges, 
God invites us to return from our own Moabs, our own attempts to live away from him and away from his covenant promise and return to Bethlehem, Bethlehem, the house of bread, and eat and be satisfied in him. And for some of you who are part of our online community, the invitation is to join Ruth in her transformed allegiance, to accept the invitation of God to be part of his people, for you then to respond in your choosing, for you to say with Ruth, your people will be my people, and you, God, will be my God. And his assurance to you is on, at the very point you do that, even death cannot separate you. You are his. His loyal kindness is on you forever. If the name of Bethlehem sparked a few memories here and there, there's good reasons for that. Bethlehem features very prominently in many of the Christmas stories. And of course, the reason Bethlehem features prominently in the Christmas stories is that Ruth and her husband Boaz, who we'll meet in the next chapter of Ruth, become the great-grandparents of King David of Israel. And King David of Israel is the direct ancestor of Jesus of Nazareth. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, become human for us bread of heaven, inexhaustible riches for all who simply say yes to him. And the inexhaustible food that he gives is himself, Jesus himself. We human beings are built for relationships, created by a triune God in eternal companionship, we human beings made in his image are made to be connected with each other and with God. And Jesus gives us himself. And he gives us this meal. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends celebrating a Passover feast at the time of the barley harvest. And he took bread as part of that meal. And after having given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, all of you. This is my body, broken for you. Do this, remembering me. In the same way, after the supper, at the very end, he took that final cup from the Passover supper. And after having given thanks, he gave the cup to them saying, take, drink, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant now sealed with my blood. This is for the forgiveness of sins of many. Drink, all of you. And the promise given that night and every time we celebrate this meal in the century sense is that we in her trust in Jesus and his finished work for us in taking this bread and this cup, we participate in him and he satisfies us, nourishes us, strengthens us for a faithful life of loyal kindness 
in a world that is so very, very difficult. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in your homes as you can. We're going to pray and then invite you to take the bread and take the cup that you've prepared in your home, to take it as together as we possibly can take it in this time that is so difficult. Please join me in prayer. Ah, Lord Jesus, you who were born, yes, in Bethlehem, but in obscurity, and then grew up in obscurity, and then ministered such a brief time on the edges of the Roman Empire, so little notice was taken by so many in the world of you, and yet you have changed everything. There at the cross where you took our place so that all the damage we've inflicted on ourselves and each other and the world, you've taken it all and so we can be forgiven and free of both guilt and shame. What a gift. And so now come on these, Holy Spirit, the gifts of the church. Make these in our various physical places we're taking, make them a true sharing in the body of Christ together as the people of Jesus to be strengthened and nourished and made whole. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.